0: How to Study Your Bible is a class currently held monthly on the premises of Eastview Baptist Church in Belton, South Carolina. We take a look at a modified inductive study method, 12 steps, really dig deeper, get more close and intimate with our passage of scripture. We hope that you'll enjoy this resource and that it helps you in your personal study. Please like, share, subscribe, and send this link to someone you know to help them dig a little deeper in their personal study. Love you, and God bless. All right. Yeah, so I teach a modified inductive Bible study method, and what we do uh, is, in this class together, we kind of go through it, uh, and I've already worked one out for us. We go through it, kind of bring highlights and questions we may have from the text, and then apply it to the text. What we do is give you a copy of it, in hopes that you go home and do it yourself. Because there is power in repetition. Oh, yeah, Jesus had like a strong proclivity to do things in threes. And there's rhymes and reasons and methods. People probably think I just do strange things. But there are tried and true reasons why I do things I do. If you'll look and notice that this modified indu- inductive study method. This is like my own little personal version. I, I took... Uh, what Tim Keller teaches, and he has a very specific way that he teaches a uh, an inductive uh, Bible study method, and kind of made it my own. And there is power psychologically in this 12-step process. If anybody's ever been part of an addiction recovery or a emotional abuse recovery, these kind of things, if you notice, most of them are set up on 12 steps. Why? Because it's Usually they'll do three pattern, patterns of four or four patterns of three. And if you look, you'll notice ours is kind of more of a, of a, four, a four patterns of three. Uh, and by the time we finish one of these uh, modified inductive studies, we've read the passage three times through. We've went through it verse by verse. If you've ever been to a Wednesday night with me, you know, sometimes we can cover a big piece of Scripture uh, last week, we, what do we do, a, a, a verse and a half, I think, mm-hmm. Bill? Uh, because some texts require you to meditate on every single word, where some are meant to be applied in kind of in a in a passage. In modern translators, this is, I mean, people don't know this, these verses that we see in the Bible, that, that's not how it was written. These subheaders you see within the Bible, they were written as scrolls, one continuous texts. And they're made, the Bible scripture is made uh, to be read in in large passages. Uh, Most of your gospel gospel accounts, they were meant to be read start to finish. They're a biography of Jesus from the perspective of Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John. And uh, so for us, this is a way for us to to almost biographize every passage of Scripture, and right now as we're teaching through this class, this is our second session. Uh, the notes, study notes, and the first session are available through our podcast site, uh, and I think it goes to Apple Podcast and Spotify. If you're, uh, I-, I listen to your sermons on Wednesday. I'm sorry. <sighs> <It's awful. laughs> uh, they were good. We 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 uh we make them available so uh. The first time that we got together, we studied. And, y'all, this is this is, this is, is very relaxed, loose. There's coffee over there. If you're like, man, can't keep my eyes up, go grab a cup of coffee. Uh, there's bottles of water up here. What we do is actually come. This is where my wife teaches Sunday school. We come and, and rate her Sunday school class. Why? Because I think they have the most comfortable seats. They do. Yeah. <laughs> and they're set up perfect. They're lectern style, so you can sit. There's clipboards down here. Uh, you can kind of set the clipboard and work. And so, kind of without further ado, what I want to do is uh, pray for us real quick, and then we'll start to to read the the passage. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just pray that today, Lord, as we come together and and just gather to, to submit ourselves to your word, God, that today we will seek you and we will search you, Lord, that we may find you in your word, God. And we just pray that as... As the Greek is Theoponestos, God, we would seek your word with holy uh, Lectio Divina in our lives, God, that we could learn and apply and meditate on you, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read it for us uh, this first time through uh, in the English Standard Version. That's primarily what I teach from. I'm not an onlyist, and I know that upsets some people. What I will teach from is whatever version that particular week that I felt that God most uh, kind of laid it out in, in a way that, that I think would be receptive uh, and that people would be able to kind of digest. Right? We know that... Anybody here you know, like to eat? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't season a steak the same way that you season chicken. Well, I mean, you, you can, but then, you know, it's just... Right? So, and I, I, ironically, I start speaking to us about uh, about eating today because, well, you'll, you'll see in a second as I read this passage, but there's a kind of a weird, in our eyes, phrasing that we're going to see just almost immediately. So I'm going to read it to us this first time through uh, in the English Standard Version. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be 13 through 16 today. So last week we covered, or the last time we did this, we covered 12 uh, verses. And Eileen was starting to give me, Aileen was starting to give me the wrap it up <laughs> box there at the end. Because I'm not going to lie to y'all, we spent about an hour and a half together just really in the Word. Uh, so today we, we're going to look uh, at 13 through 16. So I guess that's three or four verses. And we, we really want to meditate on these. Why? Because again, there's going to be something that we run into that kind of seems strange, but will help it make sense. So Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how how, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And again, I told you guys, sometimes there's passages we'll read a big bulk of scripture. Today we're going to practice what is called Lectio Divina. This is a small sample size, a small passage of scripture that we can really meditate on. Uh, so, our first step, of course, was to read our passage the first time. Uh, and our second step here is to list any questions that you may have about the passage on the first read through. And I know that sounds crazy. That that's step two, but there's a reason. If you look, we actually come back to these questions once we've really meditated and we've really, uh, really kind of applied what this means, uh, because we know that the more, again, when we were speaking of repetition, the more that we do something, the more familiar and comfortable we become with something, right? So it, it, your step two as you work through this on your own, is probably going to look much different than what mine did. Uh, Your step four, again, will probably look much different than mine does, and that's okay. Because there's this really cool thing about Scripture where I can read Scripture and pull something from it. Bill may read that same passage of Scripture and pull something completely different. Why? Because God speaks to us through His Word. I'm going to take this opportunity to say, let me repeat that. God speaks to us through his word. If someone comes to you and says, God told me to tell you, really look at that with a grain of salt, right? God does still speak to us through the Holy Spirit, but it's an intimate and personal thing. Uh, I had this question kind of probed to me in the past week or so. Well, How do we know if there are modern-day prophets? There very well could be, but the criteria of a prophet is 100% accuracy. Keep that in mind. I I like some of his teaching, but there's a man, John Hagee, who refers to himself as a modern-day prophet. He's missed a lot. He's missed a lot of them. One of my absolute favorite Bible teachers, Chuck Smith, uh, started the Calvary Chapel movement had a very specific way that he thought the end times was going to play out and was going to start around 2000, we see, while he was a great Bible teacher, he cannot title himself with the title of prophet. Okay? Uh, So as we work through step two here, and again, I tell you these kind of things because uh, even within the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're going to work through in this class, my goal is to work through months and months and months, uh, the entire Sermon on the Mount with people who come into this class, they can then go, A, and your personal study time becomes productive, but B, that you can teach other people how to study the Bible. It's not, the, don't get me, don't get it wrong here, guys. It's not just your pastor's job to teach you the Bible. If that is the only uh, application of the Bible that you got, your diet is looking real slim, right? We are to daily. I would almost say hourly, digest the Word of God. And again, so you may think to yourself, why do we read the passage three times? Okay, where do I pull that from? Again, when Jesus taught, often if he wanted us to really grab something, he would repeat it three times. In the prayer rhythm of uh, Judaism in that day, if you're familiar, they had a morning prayer, a midday or an afternoon prayer, and then a nightly prayer. Notice three times a day they were going to God. Again, just as we are to daily digest the Word, if the only time we're praying are Wednesday nights at our prayer meeting, your prayer life is looking really lean. So here we're going to list any questions that we may have about the passage on our first read-through. All right. Don't think me higher or... High and mighty. I have the same kind of questions that anybody does, right? Well, the first thing that comes to mind as you're working through this, what is the deal with the salt, right? Anybody read this and go, man, what's the deal with the salt? Why does he keep talking about salt? So what does it mean to be the salt of the earth, right? Uh, Or my, my second question as I read through this, how can I actually be the light of the world, right? I have a tendency to think of things very literally, right? Very literally. Uh, My third question as I read through this, what does it mean to let our light shine before others, right? My fourth question as I I worked and read through this uh, on this first read-through, and and I did this literally in the the same order that the, the, the 12 steps will apply. So what is the purpose of doing good works with the context or the lens of being a light, right? What what does that actually mean? Very literal, but I also have a tendency to get the, what is it, the expression stuck in the weeds, right? All right, step three, we're going to read through this passage. This time we're going to do it. Uh, what I like to do, me personally, and maybe you'll love this, maybe you'll hate it. You do what, what you feel works for you each of the three times that I read through the passage, I will typically read from a different translation. Right? Right. So the second time, the first time that I read through, of course, was the English Standard Version, very literal, right? Very word for word. So the second time uh, that I'm going to read through, I'm going to read through in the Berean Standard Bible. This is a, a little bit more of a an optimal equivalence or uh, in in translations you may be more familiar with, more toward a CSB, uh, the Christian Standard Bible. Not quite as in the middle as maybe uh, an NIV. A little more on the the formal side. uh, And so I'm reading the second time through uh, in the Berean Standard Bible. You are, this is verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt... "...loses its savor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a stand... And he gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, so the more you see, the more we read it, the more things kind of start to stick out to us. It's why we ask our questions on step two, on that first read-through, right? Why do we do it in this order? Because... When we ask our questions, we want them to be literally pure uh, and, and childlike even, right? That our questions are the things the things that you wonder after that first read-through. Those are the things that you actually wonder, right? So the more you've read it, you've kind of went away from that, so to speak, childlike faith because you're starting to understand it, or so you think, deeper. So when we ask our questions, it's why we ask them after the, the first read-through, so here in uh, step four, uh, we, we list or we repeat any words or phrases uh, that, that kind of stick out to us. Or words or phrases that maybe are repeated. And so for me, of course, I told y'all, the first one that pops out to me may be the first one that pops out to you. All right, let's all say it together. Soft. Right? And I, I'll, I'll help make that... Uh, Let that make a little more sense in just a minute. Uh, The the second was not a word, but kind of a phrase that stuck out to me. Because remember, this is Jesus teaching a multitude of people to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Yikes! The third word or phrase that maybe was repeated and I noticed was this this word or phrase, light or lamp. Jesus keeps talking about it. You're a light, you're a light, you're a lamp. My fourth thing that really stuck out to me uh, was this phrase that comes here uh, in verse 16. Your good works and give glory to your Father. Why did this stick out to me? Because we live in a me-me-me Society. If you do something good, how? What? who have you been told? Who needs to get the glory for you doing something good? You. I ain't trying to brag on myself. But if I do something good, I want you to know I did it, right? And here's Jesus who starts this thing by telling you, you're like salt. And in our world, in our time, salt is... Not exactly a high priority, a low cost thing. You can go get one of those big things of salt for like 98 cent and it's going to go bad before you ever get to use that whole thing of salt. And if maybe you can use that whole thing of salt before it goes bad, you really should probably get like your cholesterol and stuff tested, right? Because we're not supposed to digest that much salt. But here, uh, I want you to start kind of processing this idea of salt as a preservative there we go anybody in here men maybe women you're a big hunter right you ever took out a boar land wild boar if you want to preserve that wild boar what will you do with a lot of the meat Put put it in a lot of salt i mean that thing gets coated in salt And what happens is salt draws the fat, right? And once it draws the fat, it draws the fat out to basically the outermost, or in other words, uh, the portions of the meat that you could touch. It draws this fat, and then the fat actually coagulates where it actually makes almost like like a shield, I'd say, Lynn. And it guards the good that's on the inside. And as you process through, and you need to use this Meat. You would literally cut off the portion that you need. Now, reapply salt to the rest that you plan on storing again, and then the piece that you now plan and intend to use, you cut away this layer of salt, and there's now a usable portion of meat. And, and you say, "Why? Why does this matter? Like, what? What's the? What's the deal here? Again, what did we refer to it when we when we started speaking right here?" It is a what? A preservative. You and I are called to preserve the sanctity of life. You and I are called to preserve the word of God. We live in a world, a day, an age a society where people will bend in order to make others feel comfortable. Like a lot. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I'm not worried about their feelings. I'm worried about God. How does my example really show my belief in God? If my belief in God is so frail and so fragile that I would rather not offend people, then I've got to reexamine who has priority in my life. And if I really love them, I don't want them to live in sin. See, the world has told us, oh, if you, if you tell me I'm sinning, that's judging me. No, 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 no. If I take it upon myself to say, you're a sinner, so you're going to hell. Now, now we're more on the realm of judgment. But if I come to you in a corrective way and I say, man, I love you so much that I can't see you continue to do this. Here's the flaw of this pattern. Now we're not in judgment. We're not in condemnation, which Jesus very clearly told us not to do. If you don't believe me, go to John 3:17, right after the verse that we all like to, to read, right? But John 3:17, write that one down on your sheet and come and visit later. Uh, we see that Jesus was very clear, You and I are to, to help one another and correct one another. And if you bring it to a brother or a sister in Christ, and you have attempted to help or correct them, and they continually live in the sin pattern, then we're going to cut ourselves off from them. Why? So that they don't ruin us. Notice when we were talking, I know maybe maybe you're not familiar with, with using salt as a preservative, but notice when me and Lynn said we cut off that piece that we're going to use, what do we have to immediately do? We have to reapply more salt. We got we to gotta seal this thing off again. That's you and me. We're part of the unified body with our brothers and sisters. This sounds terrible. We're one big good chunk of meat. And by applying the word of God as a preservative to our lives, we're stored in a way that can be used. Now, if we cut off that portion that's going to be used and we leave it just raw and uncovered, do you know what happens to that meat? It spoils and it goes bad. You ever heard the expression, one, a- one bad apple can ruin the bushel? Why? Because, again, it starts to rot and it starts to deteriorate. and It started with that one, and instead of removing it, right, or mitigating it, even once it starts to, to rot, we cut it off right there, and we help preserve it. Now the apple can still be used. But if we allow that rot to make it into the rest of the bushel, now the entire thing goes bad. Uh, again, if you were with us last night, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but we're, we're kind of letting other people ruin the whole. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. I would rather them be uncomfortable than for them to be cast into the fiery furnace. Amen? Amen. So step five is one of my favorite parts. And, okay, you may do this exercise two times on the same passage, and step five may look different both times that you do it. I'm going to venture to say it will look different each time that you do it. So our step five is to rewrite or paraphrase the passage in your own words. When you see this word paraphrase here, in other words, you use... This God-given ability that you have, and we are practicing again here, Lectio Divina, right? So small passages of Scripture, really meditating on it. We're going to paraphrase or meditate on each word and reformulate it into the way that God presents it to us. In other words, we're going to put it in words that we can understand. If you rewrite or rephrase this thing and you read it and go, that doesn't make any sense, you probably need to start over and do this thing again. This step is to help you start to break down the walls. Because remember on our first read-through, we read that word salt, and we're like, what in the world? But as we really start to think of it in the context of the time, the salt makes a lot more sense. Who in here knows life is full of good times? Amen. And life is full of bad times. Double amen. And when it's really good, you need to set back for times when it will inevitably get bad. All right. Does anybody realize what their number one protein source would have been in this time, this day, and this age? I'll give you a, a, a hint. It's white. Fish. and it, Yeah, there we go. It's fish. Yeah, right? <laughs> Just as ham can be cured or hog in our day and age. All right. If you know anything, like they weren't eating pig. Okay, guys, Peter hadn't seen, the, had the, seen the, the big sheet drop yet. I don't think we're ever going to break that one down, right? But in this day, in this age, they, w- they would have been fishermen predominantly uh, that provided the protein source for the village. And if you've ever been in a fish market, you'll see that fish that came from maybe overseas or comes from somewhere else, Is a lot of times stored in salt blocks. Because again, it preserves it. Fish that is caught fresh locally and that will immediately be put to usage is kept on what? Ice. Ice melts. Anybody ever seen ice melt? We can all confirm. (laughs) Ice melts. And we live in South Carolina, so it melts quick. So the things that would be used quickly and ate up that came locally. Again, on ice. Why? Because it's going to be put to immediate use. Things that have to make that little trip across seas, or maybe from the other coasts, these kind of places, a lot of times will be stored in salt, right? Preserves, right? So when we first read salt here in verse thirteen, we got to remember. Okay, some teachers will never tell you this. We go into scripture with presuppositions. What does this mean? We read it through our eyes, our lens, our context. There's a reason why these 12 steps are kind of in the order they are. This took like, I'm not lying to y'all, this took like 13 years of trial and error to get to a place that I could have like comfortable study. When we look at this word salt, we came to it with modern eyes. There is a major flaw in only reading scripture through modern eyes or modern interpretation, right? We have to look at it as it was, as it changed the world, and then practical application for our day. If we only look at it through any one of those three lenses, we're in a danger zone, right? Uh, So in this step, I'm going to read... For you, my little paraphrase of it, and I'm not as good as Eugene Peterson, right? Okay, that brings us to another thing. People have asked me before, what do you feel like the message? What do you feel about it? It's not a translation. Eugene Peterson never implied that it was a translation. It is a study method. It is something that he put together that his wife and his children were able to, to read and understand Scripture. I have it on my shelf, but again, it is used just like I would use a commentary. To help addition, right? In addition or in supplication. I would never rely on, on the message as as literally as that, as a translation. Uh, so here, what you're going to do is basically you're making your own form of, of the message. And here's how mine looks, step five. You are, uh, You are the salt that is of this world. Once salt is no longer salty, how is it to ever be salty again? Salt that is no longer salty really serves no purpose. You are like a light for the world to see. Places with high vantage points are impossible to miss. No one lights a lamp only to hide it. Instead, it is placed in a visible spot so that all may see and benefit from it. Just as a lamp isn't hidden to serve no purpose, you should not hide your Christ-likeness. Instead, do things that draw attention to Jesus. So that's my, uh, my rehashing of the, of the Scripture here. Uh, step six. Uh, notice we, we put it in our own words, right? So now we start to apply it deeper. Now... This is, it's, you, you got to get good at this one because your step five and your step six, when you first start doing this for yourself, they're going to look real similar, All right? Because you're putting it in your own words, but then you're summarizing it, And but you have to stop and take the time to, to differentiate, separate the two. There's a difference between me putting something in my own words and me summarizing the whole, Okay. Why, what I like to do in step six is really try and limit this. No matter how big the passage, limit it to one or two, uh, one or two sentences. This will keep you from basically repeating step five all over again, where you're just putting putting it in your own words. So step six, uh, we're going to summarize this in one to two sentences, and you can utilize like in your however your translation looks. Uh, the the outlining or the structuring that it shows, you can use that if you need to to kind of help yourself uh, in the process. <clears throat> but my step six, this is this is my my summary my summary of, of of this passage. Salt that isn't salty doesn't have a real definite purpose. Right, it's purposeless. It is useless in most senses. So then, a life that is supposedly committed to Christ, yet the power Let me read this, work through this again. So then is a life that is supposedly committed to Christ, yet the power of His very real change within you remains hidden. In other words, your life... This sounds terrible, I'm sorry. Your life is pointless if it doesn't point to Christ. If Christ, if Jesus isn't the point, the purpose of your life, your life is without point or purpose. There's not like a nicer way to say it. I'm sorry. One of the modern lies and myths that's really hurt the world you do you. Live your best life. These these kind of phrases. These are dangerous. Real dangerous. Why? Because we know that the heart is deceitful above all things. We know, as Paul says, that For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Again, he says in Ephesians that we're all born into sin. It's dangerous to live your truth. Live your best life. It's very dangerous. You have to learn to apply Christ to all aspects of your life. Live the life that Christ would have you live, right? Step seven again, I'm a nerd, that's okay. I live with that, I come to, to, to grip and grasp with that, and, and, and again, that, that's, that's okay. Step seven is one of my favorite parts. This is where I get to go nerd out, right? Notice. Before we ever look at what anybody else thinks, we have asked ourselves, what is Christ saying to me in this passage? Right? If step seven were further up in the beginning, step seven, we're going to consult a commentary or references or cross-references to see what another theologian may think about the passage. Why? Because it's helpful to get somebody else's view and vantage point. Anybody ever rode in a car? If you're here right now, your answer is yes. Who knows? It looks different from the driver's seat than it does from the passenger seat. Right? And it looks real different when you ride in the back seat. And it just looks straight. Anybody ever rode in a third row? Like in a third row SUV? You ever rode back there? Okay, I don't get car sick, but like I think that makes me car sick. Because you've got, you've got tunnel vision on it. Your, your reactionary time is, is real jacked up, right? Like if you're trying to backseat drive, good thing the steering wheel is not in the third row. You would jump a lot of curbs. You would hit a lot of things. All of our insurance would be even more expensive. And cars would just constantly look just real messed up. Because vantage point matters. But there's something to learn and there's something to take and see from every vantage point, which is why we, once we're now kind of in the, the latter half of this, we, then we start to see what others may see or what, what they have drawn from it. And so often what I will utilize step seven is to really kind of prep me and help me for step eight. So these two steps are, are kind of inner, intertwined. Uh, So, again, step seven is to consult a commentary or references to see what another theologian may have thought about this passage. And you'll notice that it says another theologian. Why does it say another theologian? Because you are a theologian. I, i spent, like, maybe more time than I should have last time on this, and we actually broke down the Greek of why everybody is a theologian, because theologos, the Word of God, to study the Word of God, all of us are called to study the Word of God. Therefore, we're all theologians. Man, if I could have just wrapped it up that quick last time, y'all. So step seven is where I will really kind of start doing the, the uh, footwork behind step eight. Because some, some passages are very clear with who's involved, where it happens, why it's taking place, who, what, when, where's, and why, that kind of thing. Uh, but sometimes... You need the help of someone who's seeing a, a little bigger picture than, than you and I see. <laughs> There's a difference between a theologian and a commentator. Okay? We're all to, to, to learn and to study God's Word, but there are, thank, thank heavens, there are some that are called to commentate, or in other words, really break it down. Break it down in a way that when me and you can't figure it out, when we can't get the A to B, we have that other guy who has spent the thousands of hours and helps us make that jump in 30 seconds. And you're like, man, that was so easy. And the guy who did all that groundwork was like, man, I committed six years to this, right? So step seven really just helps us with step eight. And uh, when I put these together, again, this, these resources become available uh, whenever I upload it to the podcast. I put my email address in there. If you want a copy of uh, my full notes where I actually work through one of these to kind of help you, the last time I provided everybody one, that used a lot of paper. So digital is, is you can print it, right? And if you don't have a printer, get with me. But yeah, last time I, last time I burned a lot of paper, right? So... Uh, And I'll have people ask me, step seven is really kind of hard to do together, right? But I'll have people ask me, you know, like what commentaries, what do you recommend, what do you refer? Uh, My number one, because it really, again, makes you do the hard work, uh, there is, and it's available in like a lot of translation, it's referred to and it's called the Open Bible. It provides highlights, makes you do the digging, but it sends you in the right direction at least. Uh, if you're looking directly and purely on study Bible, my number one, not just because of the translation, but because of the notes, I think the notes led me to the translation actually is the ESV study Bible. Why? Because there were, there were people from a lot of different denominations and backgrounds that came together. So you get to see differing viewpoints on things, right? They present things and say, uh, we call them controversial text or texts. Like when we went through Acts chapter two. You can split a church on Acts chapter 2, y'all. I like the ESV because it presents different... Uh, X camp thinks this, and here's how they arrive there. Y camp thinks this, and this is how they arrived there. Z camp thinks this, and this is how they arrive there. So I like, me personally, I like the ESV study Bible a lot. Uh, but in terms of our denomination or the Baptist faith... Uh, One of the best ones to consult is the CSB uh, study Bible. Why? Because a lot of Baptist or conservative theologians own it. If you want it, realize that it's going to have leanings or presuppositions like all of us go into Scripture with. Uh, It's going to have leanings and uh, presuppositions towards a more Baptist or uh, conservative uh, denomination. They have, uh, maybe you just are, look, I've already admitted I'm an odd bird. Maybe you're a real odd bird, and you're trying to look at like way different things. There's a Lutheran study Bible. Wouldn't recommend it, but if you're that kind of person that wants to go explore it, go for it. Uh, and then my honorable mention study Bible, there's one called the NET study Bible. Huge, huge, huge thing. It literally looks like a cinder block. I'm not being funny. But uh, if you like to see things in the original language and understand where it came from, that one is real helpful in that regard. Uh, if you're like, I don't really care to study Greek or Hebrew, that one is not going to be for you. Uh, and then as far as commentaries, what are my, my you know, my number one uh, or recommendations? My number one favorite uh, is it's called the Exalting Christ in, or the Christ-centered exposition It's put out by Holman. But again, the leanings are going to be more Baptist, more conservative, because again, it's put out by Holman and then a lot of times, I think it's marketed by LifeWay. LifeWay is the publishing branch of the Baptist denomination. I like it a lot because it gives a 30,000-foot view. There's different ways to look at Scripture. 30,000-foot is just real broad. Then we refer to things in a 10,000-foot view. This is where it gets into more detail. This is where we're going to consult more of a ESV study Bible. Uh, and if we really want to dig into the weeds, i got some stuff in my... In my in my office that you're more than welcome to, to give a whirl, but you'll probably give it back to me quick, like the preacher's uh, homiletics. You may go spend a little bit of time there and go, yeah, I'm, I'm good on that. But there's, again, there's a purpose for everything. Uh, so again, these are just kind of my recommendations or my preferences. You take it with a grain of salt. If you've got something that works for you, you go with it. If you don't, I get with me. I, I promise I have recommendations and I would love to, to give to you. Uh, so step eight, again, step seven, we're consulting with the, 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 the pros that we can complete step eight. Uh, so step eight is where we actually take the time to write out who's involved, where does it take place, when does it take place, how does it relate, here's my favorite part, to the overall story arc. All right? So remember, in this one I'm going to work through it kind of backwards, overall story arc. The Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' greatest hits. Remember when Walmart used to have the, I talk about it like this all the time. When Walmart used to have that $5 CD bin, like out in the middle, and you could get lost in that thing for hours, right? If you notice when you pulled out of there, it was always Alabama's greatest hits. Leonard Skinner's greatest hits. Journey's greatest hits. And what was funny is to look at different publishing companies and to see what their idea of his greatest hits were. I say that to tell you, this is Matthew's uh, retelling of Jesus' greatest hits. It happens here in Matthew chapter 5. Luke also retells the Sermon on the Mount. It's a much more uh, just kind of brief visiting it. Remember that Luke took other people's accounts and made a biography. It's not a first-hand account. Luke wrote Luke Acts. I think he wrote Hebrews. That's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. Uh, But uh, the book, Luke and Acts were, were written together. This is one account, right? And what you'll notice is that Luke tells the entire book of Luke, which is the biography of Jesus, as outside view. About 16, I think, 14 or 16 chapters into the book of Acts, It goes from an overview from other people's opinions, and you'll notice that it starts saying we. Why? Because Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. He begins to live out the things in the story that he's been putting together for a guy named Theophilus, and there's as many opinions on who Theophilus is as there are elbows in the world. I've got three or four different ideas of who Theophilus could be. The kind of commonly or, uh, or accepted, I guess you'd say, uh, idea is that Theophilus is probably a financier, right? This is someone who is wealthy and wanted to know more about the story of Jesus. And Luke starts putting it together for him. And then when anybody ever followed any investigative journalist? Notice how they start is they're telling uh, from all these witness statements that they've gathered, and then a real good investigative journalist puts himself in there. Well, Luke finally says, put me in, coach, and gets involved. So again, if you ever want to get down that Hebrews rabbit trail with me, holler at me. I promise we can nerd out together. It's awesome. It's fun. Uh, But not the time or place right now. Uh, step eight, uh, so we, we're looking at the overall story arc, what's going on around it. Now remember, this is Jesus' greatest hits, and now it's, it's kind of funny to see. He starts this thing with the makarios, or the blessed, or the beatitudes, and this is directly uh, from the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses keeps saying, be happy, and you got to be happy, and you got to be happy. You know, if you say it enough, you believe it, right? Why does he keep saying be happy? Because he's living with the people who God keeps speaking to. God keeps giving the order of what to do. And they're like, yeah, that that sounds cool. We're not going to do that, though. Right? He goes up on Sinai to go receive the word of God. Now notice something. Watch this. Jesus goes up on this mountainside to teach. He's going to relay the word of God. When Moses went up, received the word of God, came back, delivered. Anybody remember how that plays out? He literally just went up there, got the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets, comes down. And his brother has been just pulled to the world and has made a big old golden cow. He took literally all their wealth, all their resources, and people were like, make us a shrine. And he uh, he made a big old golden calf. And so Moses, who just went, spoke to God, saw God in direct revelation, comes down and says, and breaks it. Why? Because he knows, just as we've been studying on Wednesday nights, that the more that they know, the more that is expected of them. Now look, he comes down the mountain and they have just couldn't even wait, like they could not wait, so they had to find something else to worship. His brother, Aaron, immediately begins to blame everybody else. Well, they told me to do it. Notice that a lack of accountability has been happening for a long time. I think it's only gotten worse, but again, lack of accountability uh, has has gotten terrible. So that's where we are in the overall story arc. And our uh, passage here uh, begins by talking about saltiness or the ability to preserve. Jesus goes up on a mountainside, is delivering the Word of God, and basically his first teaching is you have to preserve the Word of God. You are a light or you are a direct representative of the Word of God. Remember this. To some people, this world is as close to heaven as they ever see, and for others, This is, fortunately, the the closest to hell that we'll ever have to see. What is scary is that it was made to be basically a direct revelation or representation of heaven. In the garden, in Eden, it was pure. And then God made us. We were cool until we got the ability to have free will. And then the first thing that we did was do something bad and look, blame it on someone else. The devil says, Did God really say, mm, I don't know, let's eat this? Hey, husband, eat this. Ooh, that's good. Isn't this the one that God said, don't eat? All right, let's hide because we're naked. God comes to find us because we're hiding. Remember, we're made to live with Him in union with Him. And God's like, why are they hiding Oh, no. Did you? He, he already knows. Of right? But he asked us, did you by chance eat that fruit? The serpent told us to do it. The woman. The serpent told us to do it. The man. The woman told me to do it. Everybody's got a finger pointed at somebody else. Anybody ever have grandparents that tell them, when you point a finger, there's three pointing back at you? So, step eight this is written, we know, we don't know exactly when, and here's the crazy part we don't know exactly how long this teaching took. People used to hang around for more than a 30 minute lesson, they would come and spend like a week. Just learning from rabbi, learning from teacher. But we do know that this happens in approximately the first quarter of Jesus' ministry on earth. Again, another uh, rabbit hole for another day. So, what year? <laughs> Somewhere between 30 AD and 37 AD. See, we know Jesus came and lived approximately. Thirty-three to thirty-five years, but when exactly does it happen? Oh man, you want to split some people? You thought Acts chapter two would do it? Let's let's put a date to it. No, that will split people. Why? Because again, there are some. Oh, this sounds bad. There are some crazy people that think that this happens pre thirty A.D. But if it happened that way, it doesn't make sense because there's a fall of of uh, of the temple and. The way that the entire New Testament plays out, we know if you look at things that actually make sense, maybe you don't, maybe you look at things that don't make sense, all the more power to you. But if we follow the overall, again, story arc of scripture, Jesus' life has to happen somewhere between 30 and actually about 37 AD, okay? There's a seven-year window that we know about three to three and a half years happened. We'll put an exact date to it. I'm not going to. Why? Because again, there are commentators that spend their entire lives trying to point down the fine tooth details. For me, it doesn't matter when, it just matters that it happened. Uh, where is a lot easier to nail down on this one? Okay, It's a place called the Mount of Beatitudes. Uh, if you will get the, the notes emailed to you, uh, I've actually got a picture of the Mount of Beatitudes. Uh, it is in... Uh, Modern day, is that me? No, it's in modern day uh, northern Israel. Uh, it's in a place called the Korazim Plateau and it overlooks the Sea of Galilee. All of our context clues point us to exactly the place where this happened, right? I've been warned. I, I want to go to Israel so bad. I want to live. I want to go live like in the Holy Land for a little bit and just grow out my beard and live like the Nazarite, the Nazarite vow. And I'm going to do it right. In reality, if I ever get to do it, that's not going to get to happen. Okay, but I do know from others who've been, it's known pretty well attributed where this happens. But there are people that pull away tourists and say, "We'll take you there." And they take you to a completely different place. Why? Because tourism is profitable. Be careful, be very careful as you read, learn, and apply scripture. Right? Because people will try and take you away from the truth for their own agenda. <clears throat> Step nine. This is where we revisit, and I'm wrapping this thing up for us, we revisit the questions uh, that we had back in step two. Uh, So my questions again was, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Being the salt of the earth literally just means being a positive influence and preserving goodness. Preserving the word of God and preventing moral decay. How can we be the light of the world? To be the light of the world, we are called to live in a way that reflects the truth of the gospel by shining God's love and grace onto others. God didn't save you for you to go hide away in a hole somewhere and wait until you die. It'd be a whole lot easier not to sin if you did that. (laughs) But that's not what God called us to do. He called us to live amongst His people, but to be an example that points to Him. Uh, Our third question. uh, What does it mean to let our light shine before others? Letting our light shine before others involves living a life characterized by good works that bring glory to God. All of it, all this passage here, guys, Really two phrases. Preserve the word, right? And then magnify the word. Preserve the word, that's the salt portion. Magnify the word, that's the light or the lamp part. Step number 10. The more acclimated that you are with Scripture the more that you will be able to list out in step number 10. Step number 10 is to list any verses or passages that come to mind now that you've been meditating on this scripture. In other words, this is where you're going to make cross-references from the things that God has revealed to you through your long-term studying. Lynn may be able to come up with more or less cross-references than Tina. Tina may be able to come up with more or less cross-references than Bill. We're all going to be able... And here's the really cool part. Your cross-references may look completely different than her cross-references. Why? Because we're applying the Word of God to our lives. right? To say that we don't have presuppositions would be a complete lie. Okay, Just address that. So for me... Uh, really, as you focus on 14 and 15 uh, of Matthew chapter 5, uh, the metaphor of a city on a hill and a lamp on a stand reminds us of the visibility and the impact of our, that our actions can have. All right, so here's where my cross-references start. Immediately, my mind goes, and I'm not going to read out the, the passages. I'm going to give you these verses. You can go and and read the verses. I'm just going to kind of hit the highlights of the verses and summarize them for us so I can land this plane in about the next eight minutes. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 are some of my cross references. Here Jesus will later teach about doing good works, but with right motive. The complete opposite of the world where we do good things and say, look at the good thing I did. Look at how good I am. We do good things, we do right things, but we point the attention and the focus back to God. Emphasizing that they should have been done in secret and not for self-glorification. Uh, this past Sunday we talked about how do we, how do we dignify or how do we live amongst people who have less. Uh, you know what the steps don't look like? Go give the, the, the person who is down on their luck 20 bucks and then go post all on social media about how you gave them $20 and take a selfie with them. Why? Because you did it from the complete wrong motives. And I'm glad that they were blessed, but you didn't get blessed from it. You took away your blessing by self-indulging in the world. Uh, here's, these next two are beautiful. Why? Because we'll see that this thing Jesus is telling us to live like he lived by example. Uh, John 8:12, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. The, the light, my last cross-reference will make these next two kind of make sense. That Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world, and anyone who follows him no longer has to live in darkness. Whew. John 9:5. While Jesus is here in the world, he lived a valiant example of what it meant to be a light to other people, and he led by example. I don't know about y'all, but I will follow someone if, if they actually go into the fire. If I have someone that tells me, oh, you know, you can really help the cause if you'll go and jump on this grenade, I'm, I don't feel real inclined to be his scapegoat, right? But if I realize my leader has said, we got to diffuse all this so that the rest can make it, and I watch him go and jump on that landmine, I'll follow that guy. And that's what Jesus did. He said, live a life that's worth living, be an example that's worth living, and he lived it out. I can follow that leader. I can follow that example, my last one here is 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul says to imitate him just as he is imitating Christ. Literally, the verse says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, your kids, believe it or not, are imitating you. Your grandkids are imitating you. Are you imitating Christ? Or are you a mirror of the world? We are always being watched. Again, not a conspiracy theorist. (laughs) Big Brother sees everything. Who's behind the... the, Who's the guy on the other side of the monitors? Couldn't tell you. Don't don't really care to know. But somebody's watching. I've had people tell me, I'll never let the government track me. Do you have a smartphone? They already are. No, I turned my location off. And because you did that, they decided, I'm not going to follow. I'm not going to watch you, right? They would never go against your will. Right? Mm. We have an impact on other people for better or worse. Good or bad, we influence and we impact other people. Step number 11. This one should look different from every single person. How can you personally apply the passage to your life? Notice as we're working through this, we started, what did it mean? In its context, how has it changed or shaped the world? And now we're ending this thing with, how can I let the passage change motivate, or apply it to myself. We put ourselves at the end of the list. We didn't start by saying, what does this mean for me? Look how good I am. Uh, Step 11. So I'll give you three examples. Uh, Reflect on how you can be a positive example or influence for those around you. Uh, Be an example of the possibilities of good rather than the downfall of evil. Just because everybody else is jumping off a bridge doesn't mean you have to. Anybody, your parents ever tell you that when you were a kid? You got in trouble? If little Sammy jumps off a bridge, you gonna follow him? Let's be honest, most of us, yeah, probably. There's water down there, right? You don't know until you jump. Well, I'm going to try it. Splat. Live daily like you are the only... Oh, this one hurts. I'm going to stomp my foot a little bit. This one hurts, y'all. Live daily like you are the only example of Jesus that someone may ever see or encounter. Shining God's love and grace through all your actions. What if the way that you live today was the only time that someone ever saw the gospel? Not just hear the gospel, but see the gospel lived out. Now, if you're cussing people out in traffic and flipping the bird, and they follow you as you go to church on Sunday morning, you know what they're saying? I'm going to go and follow into that place, right? That's a place I really want to be. No. That person looks just like everybody else. But as you let 36 people out in traffic and all the cars behind you are blowing their horn, they're mad as the world at you. But you know what? You're letting others be first. That's the kind of example that people see. People behind you are super mad. Why? Because they're in a hurry. We live in a microwave world. People that you're letting out that otherwise wouldn't have got out, They are happy as the world to see you. That smile that you give them, that little wave that you give them, might be the only example of Christ that they have. Not just that day, but ever. So hold on to that. And last, look for opportunities to do good for others. Let's add to it. Don't tell anybody about it. Just do something good. Leave it at that. Well, I don't know how. There's no opportunities for me. How many times y'all go to a fast food restaurant? We ain't going to talk about that. Look at my body. I've ate a lot of fast food. Do something simple. Pay for the person behind you. You're like, I don't know about that. That, may, that could be expensive. All right, you're going to go for coffee. Right? Pay for the person behind you. Here's the part, though. Don't tell anybody about it. Just do it. Sometimes you'll get these really nice baristas that say, do you, want me to tell them, you know, do you want me to pass any kind of message to them? Yes, Jesus loves you. That's it. Don't leave the message of, repent, therefore, thee, thee, thou, they saith. Not gonna, that one's not gonna land the plane very well. If you just simply leave it as Jesus loves you, they'll go do the digging. You shine the light, and they'll go look for the source. Last step, and I'll let us out. Again, another, uh, another recommendation if you're looking for different Bible translations. If you're a very conservative person and you like conservative Bible translations, you'll love this one. I promise you. It's called the Legacy Standard Bible, or the LSB, Legacy Standard Bible. Uh, It's put out by the Master's Seminary. You probably have no idea who that is, but if I say uh, the university that is kind of tied in to John MacArthur, that may make a lot more sense for you. You may be familiar with John MacArthur. Very conservative guy. Uh, He's got his flaws, don't get me wrong. All of us do, Uh, but... The translation itself if I was an onlyist, this one might push this one might push for it all right uh, so Matthew chapter 5 I'm gonna read this for us one last time and I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for us you are the salt of the earth but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled. Underfoot by men, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, we're just so blessed and so thankful today, God, that we get to come together, Lord, and just study your Word uh, as a family, God, that we get to come and study your Word as, as a group and as a collective, God. And I just pray God, that you will use this time together, Lord, to enrich in our lives, God, to make us seek you more, God. And I just pray that the more that we repeat this exercise, God, the more that we commit your word to memory, the more that we commit your word to our lives, God, that we would go and study your word on our own, God, to seek you and search you above all else. pray these things in your glorious name. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.